Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, Anna-Maria Meister. Thank you for... Hello agreeing to participate in our Talon Expert Voice interview series. Um, we're pleased to have you. Um, if you introduce yourself a little bit, I'm a researcher at SAPO and I'm part of the Talon Research Project. And I'm interested to hear what you're doing, um, what your role is, what your background is, and what you're currently doing. I see you're working also from home. At, or as you More or less. <laughs> So, so um, thank you for, for having me. Um, I think we all have been through a lot of change and the challenge this year so far in teaching. I'm uh, an architect and historian. I was trained as an architect in Munich at a polytechnic school, old school, modernist kind of tradition, then worked as an architect and then went to the United States for both a master and a PhD. And I did my PhD in Princeton on in history and theory, um, mostly around topics of norms and regulations as kind of social projections and and ways of shaping society, let's say. Um, and I am now, since last September, uh, professor for uh, architecture theory and science at the TU in Darmstadt, back in Germany, um, teaching history and theory. And um, so I, I'm I'm both. I go to design reviews. I'm I'm involved in let's say the studio culture, but I teach uh, mostly seminars and lectures, just to give a sense of the format. And with COVID, I'm interested to hear how have you been teaching? You know, when when COVID hit us all in when March, it hit. I mean, have you been the, to, um, moved to remote teaching and? Um, yes. So the thing is that the German, yeah, the German semesters are very late. So by the time, um, in a way, so so we had the U.S. as a kind of sample, uh, let's say, study, which which um, made it possible for me um, with with all of my friends in the U.S. teaching to get a lot of intel on what works, what doesn't work, what I might be more careful with, because our summer semester started um, in April. So. By the time we started, it was clear that it needed to be online. Uh, we were still kind of scrambling to get everybody on board. And, um, and there was resistance in different parts of the faculty, as, as there always is. And, it's, and, and to be fair, it's easier for us, let's say, teaching history theory to teach online than it is, or at least than it seems to be, uh, to teach um, studio drawing or, or, or sculpting, for example. Um, but it was clear that last semester everything was going to be online. So we um, we put together in our department, we put together a so-called digital task force, where a few of us who also like to explore different formats and work in different kind of structures and softwares and, and are familiar with remote um, technologies, let's say, um, came together a few times and really workshopped ideas and, and tried to bring in, I mean, by the time there was already a kind of robust discourse going on in the US. So I was also reading a lot on Facebook from friends and on certain blog posts to kind of get together ideas of how to restructure formats. Because of course what happens in what happened in our department as well was that some people then agreed to 
or warmed up to online teaching, but basically performed their regular teaching, but streaming it through Zoom, but didn't change, let's say, format or content or method. Um, and what we tried to show was that it's absolutely possible to teach studio online and to teach seminars online, but that that also means if you want to get a kind of learning experience that's, that's valuable, um, that that also means rethinking structures and formats and, and, and learning new tools. So that's how we approached it. And I think we were, I would say, fairly successful as evaluations show now. But, um, but there's definitely been different paths of, let's say, exploration and embracing the change. Um, what would you say for you, what was the biggest challenge um, when you had to move your course online? Um, so I had uh, last semester, I wasn't doing uh, my lecture course, but I was doing a seminar which I think made it easier to restructure. Um, ne next semester, I'll teach my lecture course, Intro to Modern Architecture. So that will, we'll see if that's, um, we'll see how that goes. And the seminar, I think the biggest challenge was to find out how do I get quality um, discussion time with the students. Um, so the seminar was large, there were over 25 students. Um, how do I get quality discussions around core texts? Um, but I, because I also decided to not have a Zoom session every week to, to minimize students um, online or screen time because they, of course, have, I teach two seminars, but they um, have to take every class online. So, so it's a different kind of uh, quantity of, of being exposed to that medium or that, that tool. So I tried to, I broke it down in a, in a bi-weekly meeting on Zoom and in the weeks, um, in the alternating weeks, I gave them writing assignments that then I commented on and returned to them with comments that then would be now be compiled in a kind of final paper with some additions and edits and changes. And that, I think that worked very well, but I had to learn um, A, that then the number of classes suddenly shrinks to six, which means that there's a long time between intro and, and until you actually get into this stuff. So that was a little bit, I, I knew it rationally, but hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, so, the, so the kind of buildup of discussion that you have in a seminar where weekly discussions kind of start building on top of each other, that was a little bit difficult to get that momentum because there was always two weeks between. It's like, so where were we? Um, but we did use um, an online uh, whiteboard to kind of collect ideas and where the students were posting questions and we kind of collected material. So that was also in between the weeks. So there was some engagement. Um, so I would say on a, on a technical or method front, that would be, and, and I had to, the first um, two sessions or one session, I didn't use the breakout rooms. So I only had them discuss with me and with each other in the big group. And that was, I would say semi-successful um, and the, starting the next week, I used breakout rooms um, to have them discuss in, and I gave at each breakout room a question and then had them discuss five people with each other and I would check in occasionally. Um, and that really worked and that I kept as a model for the last, for, for every class after. And I think there's, so there's, there's two challenges. The one is the kind of social tech, uh, the one is the technical methodological and the other is the social. So I think one challenge that I really, try to address upfront and every every class with my students 
is that they should let me know if they're stressed by, by COVID, if they have any changing circumstances, if anything is not going well, if they need help with anything, regardless whether it had to do with the seminar or not. Because I feel like the, to, to see, to not really meet the students, it's more difficult to see if somebody doesn't log on to know what's happening, if they're just tired or if, they're, if they have issues or if they log on what's, what's happening, if they're super stressed because you are on video and you don't know what's happening. So that I thought was challenging to kind of make sure that they know that we know it's, it's not business as usual, just online. Um, and I don't think everybody was as maybe, let's say, open about this, but I, I, I tried to be really, um, and I think many of my colleagues to be really encouraging students to, to tell us if, if something was off or something was wrong, or if they couldn't handle it, or if they, if they were stressed or when things would, would not work out, or, you know, I mean, a, a series of possible issues with internet connections or living at home or, losing childcare for a kid or, I mean, so I thought that was a big challenge to make, to try to make sure, um, to, to keep a kind of, uh, but, 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 of, and, and it was difficult to actually then help. I mean, if I, mean, I had one student who really had issues and it's, it's difficult um, to then keep them in the loop and keep them on board and, and kind of, yeah. The, the, it is, I don't know if the US system, it's, it's similar, I think, but in the German system also, it's kind of not, either you take the course or you don't take the course, but there's not much wiggle room in terms of exceptions, let's say. Yeah. And you feel that's something that's a little bit easier if you see people on a, on a weekly yeah. basis and you kind of get a feeling, maybe as I translated, yeah. how they're doing and how they're getting on. And then you say like online, it may just slip through or you know you, you don't get really the sense of, of of their level of engagement or you know motivation or yeah. yeah and it's also how they talk to their colleagues or how I mean if, if they're in a room you can see a different kind of um, um, range of social interactions where you can feel like things are off or okay like you get a, a better sense of the kind of social um dynamics whereas online it's like everybody's looking at you you're looking at everybody and so yeah i i feel i mean it's always it's always i think a job our job to kind of make sure that that students know that there's you know it's not the end of the world if something happens to their seminar um question of the week or something but um but i feel it was more challenging to to maintain that online i ask again um what was then going really well? Were there things where you said maybe um, that also surprised me in, in, you know, new outcomes or new opportunities that emerged? I think so in teaching, I think, I mean, it was nice to work across platforms a little bit more. So it's not just in the seminar room and outside, but to have this kind of board, this online platform, and then to have um, classical, let's say, email uh, submissions of written pieces and to have the conversation and then we would sometimes watch a film or discuss a video or something so i thought that kind of diversity in 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 stuff or in in, in ways of engaging um was helpful or was was interesting i thought what we didn't um use as much which which then i discovered was really helpful in in studio reviews or design reviews and, and larger discussions of work was the chat function as parallel to the kind of 
online live discussion where you can actually really develop certain arguments, have book references. So we didn't really do that in the seminar because I also feel like it's a different kind of engagement. I can't like moderate a, a chat and, and have a conversation. But that's something I think there's still more levels that we could have explored. But I think that was something I thought worked well and that I thought, and I don't, I don't know if that was, would have been the case in any case, but my students, um, I had bachelor students in the seminar, they were very, very engaged. Um, so all of them, or almost all of them, logged on every time and were really there, which in a seminar of, of 25 or 30 people doesn't always happen because people just disappear in the second row, let's say. So because there is no second row on Zoom, there, there was a, a kind of presence in a different way. So I thought that that worked well. In terms of your course you're going to teach um, coming now, did mm -hmm. you plan in Zoom combined with um, your, I assume you have a virtual learning environment mm -hmm. hosted mm -hmm. by the university, or do you plan in other tools to use or just to so I think from an idea of what's coming? What's what coming, yeah. I think so what what colleagues of mine tested this semester was um, that they kind of put up a kind of studio setting where they would give their lectures and they would be streamed and recorded um, but with like professional lighting and a good camera and a, and a whole like yeah, like a studio so that's one thing I need to ask them again what the experience with that was um, and I think I'll combine so we have an online learning environment where then we post readings and questions and information for the for the class. So I think with my lecture course, I'll try to shorten. So usually the lectures are 90 minutes every week. Um, I'll shorten that to let's say 50 to 60 minutes maximum. And then we'll have in the original time and, and put those online so that students can either watch them in the actual time slot so that their schedule doesn't get messed up or they can watch it before depending on, on, um, on their preference. If they wanna watch it at three in the morning, it's fine with me. Um, but then I would reserve um, the half hour that I saved, let's say, by shortening the lecture for questions and, um, and a Q&A with the students live on Zoom, where then they can, it's a st let's say, standing invitation every week where they can log on and ask questions after watching the, watching the lecture. We'll see how many will take that opportunity. And of course, they can also ask written questions in the, in the, on the learning environment platform. So, it's not the only way to get feedback for them, but it could be one way to actually talk to each other because usually in a lecture room, you, I mean, it's not just you don't do your show and then you walk out, but there's a certain level of communication um, to not lose that entirely. So that's, that's my plan for now for the, for the lecture. Um, and then the seminar uh, that I'm teaching that will be um, with the things I've learned so far from Zoom will be a Zoom seminar, but with a kind of offline component. Um, questions in terms of most used software or tool. Um, what would you say have you used most? And then maybe also just, just to follow up, what um, resources do you like most? Um, that can be a tool or a software, but also maybe mm -hmm. a website or you know, something internal, you say, I often draw from um, when I prepare now right. for online teaching and learning. So I would say the most used tool is definitely Zoom. I mean, that's totally taken over our lives. So I used it for the seminar. I use it 
for the for the um, meetings with my students when I give them feedback when they come for office hours or don't come for office hours <laughs> but are on office hours um, I use it for for the for the meetings with my colleagues so I think zoom is like the the kind of interface how we how we meet and teach um, we use Moodle as a kind of um, learning platform from from the university, which a lot of people um, seem not to like is what I gather, but I find it very useful once once you get the hang of it. So that it has a lot of components. You can make a wiki, you can you can have people ask questions and get the information for everybody. I post all of my texts and my and my briefs on there every week so they get a structure and see what's coming the week after. So I would say the, the the and then we used concept board for um for the kind of online board where we exchange ideas. Um, so I would say those are the three tools that I mostly used for teaching. Um, um, I forget what it's called. We use the software to record lectures. Um, Camt Camtasia. Um, that was very useful for recording intro lectures to certain topics. Um, but I think that's more or less it. And then, and then I mean, good old PowerPoint still works. It's magic. <laughs> it's it's presentations everywhere with the shared screen. So that's still still going strong, I would say. Um, and in terms of resources, I mean, that's. I feel like that's difficult. Um, so resources resources in terms of method, I mostly took from. Facebook groups and my colleagues. So that was really a kind of shared community where we're like, okay, so how do we do this? Any ideas? How can we make this work? How do we teach people design? How do we how do we do this? So that I think was the biggest resource. And because I have amazing colleagues all over the world, I have to say, I mean, I, it's they're so great and have so many ideas and 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 paths to follow and things that I've tried that that really was um, immensely helpful. Um, and then there's, I mean, there's a lot of information compiling websites by universities. And again, we were late in terms of starting the semester. So we already were kind of riding on the wave of other people trying to compile certain information on resources on softwares. And our own university also did a really great job in so we have a, um, a study and learning department, let's say, and they didactics and, and methods, and they put together a lot of introductions to software, a lot of examples, online courses, you could call them or email them and ask them things. They would um, organize the licensing for, let's say, the, the new softwares we needed. Um, so they did, a, they did a really great job in kind of making this possible and organized. So when we did our guide for the from the digital task force, we drew from all of that. So we drew from the ideas in terms of how do you do studio teaching because architecture is always a kind of specific case in, in a lot of these things. So the methods I would say came mostly from our networks um, and other schools, other design schools um, and colleagues there and, and the kind of skills and technology that was a lot of the kind of in-house and and then from other universities but that, that kind of um, didactic preparation that really worked well where do you think or where do you expect higher education to go on i mean it's difficult sometimes to predict what's going to happen tomorrow as as rules right. policies change constantly 
but um, do you think we can go back or we may go back to on, um, in-person teaching or do you think you know um, an online component will stay or would you like it to be one way or the other or do you see certain trends so i think so there's two i would say there's two answers one is what i what do i hope and then what do i expect and they're not necessarily the same um so i think so i expect that there will be a certain online component because i think a lot of people have now gone over this threshold of not wanting to do anything online and realized that for certain things that are repetitive or that are you know certain basic skills that you teach every class every year the same way whether you use the same powerpoint every year or whether you make a video explaining it that there's actually something useful in creating um, an online component for things that are uh, that don't necessarily depend on your ability to critically frame content or or teach certain certain things. So I think that that might stay, and I don't. I think that's fine. I think that's that's um, that can help all of us. And I think the kind of using these tools, like what I tried to explain before, these different layers. Let's say have a concept board, have a collective Google Map, have a, a wiki that everybody works on. Those are things I think that are that could be utilized much more in let's say conventional learning settings because it really creates a sense of a shared project that's available. Um, so I think those things should stay, and I expect them to at least get a stronger foothold. I would say, um, at least in Germany, I think there's a very strong resistance against online studio teaching across the board. So I don't see any, definitely not within the next ten years, any shift towards, without let's say the need of a pandemic. Um, the shift to online studio teaching. So I don't see, and also at seminars. I think here, here the, the, the kind of need and will to teach in person is, is very, very strong. And because we're all in publicly funded, federally funded um, institutions and, and state funded institutions, there's also less of a, let's say, market pressure on schools as there is in, in, in the US or Canada, I suppose. Canada, I'm not sure how the financing works in the different institutions. I think there's a variety, but in the US, um, it's, a, it's a totally different thing because there's a market, you need the tuition of people who attend uh, and they have to be willing to pay it and they pay it for a certain experience amongst other things to be there to then have a certain functioning model. Um, which which is something we don't have, but also we don't have the pressure of, of creating these markets. So there is a kind of the institution exists and is funded. And then the expectation is students will come and there's a there's a very strong also political belief that presence and, and exchange in person is a kind of political necessity for for higher education and the kind of um, forming of critical thinking. Um, so I, I don't see at least for here, I don't see a shift towards online only um, in any way. I mean, I do think in terms of, I, I think one thing that, that the whole COVID has shown us so far in, in several areas, not just higher education, but also is that, that we deal, that, that all the problems we already had, especially in architecture of lack of diversity, lack of accessibility, lack of social stratification, all of these things, exclusion of certain classes and races and, and, and abilities, let's say, um, that that just gets heightened by, by the pandemic and by certain things. And I think while 
while the technology and the tools would allow us to to broaden that frame more maybe than than we are willing um or able to do otherwise um i i have not seen except in conferences but in terms of teaching i have not seen that actually be the case and i'm less hopeful that we will be better in those areas because i think those are i mean there's then you have then you have issues of infrastructural access and other things so i I feel like the the kind of the problem, the social problems or the the political problems of of teaching in higher education and who can get that education is is still very present. And even if in Germany we have public education that's free, um, there are still there are still of course um, discriminating structures and and exclusions. So those I think are the tasks that need to be addressed. And I don't think I think there's tools available with remote teaching, but I think what the problem there is, is is not the tool or not having or not having the tool, but the actual will to, to change. So we'll see. So there is a, a call for um, more inclusion, probably in yeah. higher education, yeah. regardless yeah. of how it's taught or what methodology yeah. it's used. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I think that's a nice ending to the <laughs> interview. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us. And thank um, you so much for the interesting conversation. Thank you so much. I hope um, you'll get a nice collection of different, um, let's say, views and visions. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talencloud.ca. The Talon project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.